I don't know about you guys, but have you ever underestimated someone? I mean, you saw them and you look at them, you're going like, ah, that person, you know, not a big deal. You know, I mean, you know, they, you really don't think that they're special. I remember many years ago, uh, when I was probably in my mid-30s, about 20 years ago, um, I was uh, working out with two, two of my friends uh, back in Virginia. And uh, two of my friends, and we worked out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at a fitness center uh, at 6 a.m., and the only way I could be consistent with that was they would harass, we would harass each other. And these two guys, Bill Perdue, uh, was a friend of mine, Carrie Fleming. I remember him very, uh, very vividly. And I remember, you know, we'd harass each other about stuff. Then one day, I didn't even know they were doing this, but one day they invited me to go to a Taekwondo class. And they were going like, hey, you know, uh, we got some really, some really cool instructors. This guy's amazing. He said, he's amazing. They kept talking about him, you know. And they're going like, oh, this guy's amazing. You know, it's just, He'll just teach you so much. And I'm going like, okay, sure, I'll go finally. <sighs> go to the class and walk in the class. It's all adults. And about all of them are probably between 25, 35 years old. Uh, the average guy looks like he's about 6'5", uh, and I'm 6'3". And uh, he looked, they were really tall. And this one guy, particularly kind of like uh, he was this amazing dude. And all had black belts, too. All of them had black belts. And, um, and if you know, that's pretty high level. And, and, and as they were... Um, uh, there in class, this one guy in particular, I admit, now he was about 6'5", about 230, had about a 34-inch waist, and he looked like Hercules, you know? All the girls were going, oh, you know, and it was that kind of guy, you know, you look at him, I'm going like, that must be the instructor, because he is like a massive hunk of man, you know, he's like, he's going to, and then this guy walks in, he's like 20, 25 years older than the rest of us, and he's like 5'8", and he's kind of, kind of little. And he probably doesn't weigh 160 pounds, maybe 155, 160 pounds. And everybody bows to him, you know. And I'm going like, and, he, and he's just kind of graying hair. You know, he had hair, unlike me. And uh, he, he had all this thing going. And I'm thinking like, wow, this guy's not impressive at all. You know, he doesn't impress me at all. And then uh, they did the normal thing when you do. The guy got some, did some exercises and some different things. And then some of these big guys started sparring with each other. And they would do kicks where they would hold stuff and they would do stuff. And they were, you know, like all in black belts, they were kind of like, you know, doing all this stuff. And then uh, the instructor, I don't know what his proper name was, but the instructor, his name was Wayne, Wayne uh, steps in, and I'm going, he's going to get killed. He is literally going to get killed. I mean, he's like a foot shorter than everybody in here. He is, he is just such a little guy, you know. He, and plus he wore this belt that was, was kind of black, but it was kind of worn out. And I couldn't figure out, you know, why he has this really nasty-looking belt. It was almost white. It, was so, it used to have been black, I guess. I don't know. didn't understand that was because he was such a high-level black belt that he had worn his black belt down over the years. He goes in there, and very, and very simply what he tended to do over the next oh, 15 minutes as I watched him, one guy after another come in, he made every one of those guys look silly. All these guys are black belts. All of them are big. Most of them are police officers, I found out later. You know, and I'm standing back here going... Man, did I underestimate that guy. If I'd have just looked at him, I would have probably under, you know, he didn't, didn't impress me at all. See, often we underestimate people, and that's not a big deal, right? It, that's just kind of human, human nature. We underestimate what people can do, who they are. But the thing that really is disturbing in our culture is this, that we often underestimate the power of Jesus. We don't talk about Jesus like he's an amazing power to be reckoned with. We talk about Jesus, for instance, when you think of Jesus, what kind of Jesus do you have in mind? 
If you were to pick place a picture of Jesus in your mind right now, what would it look like? What do we usually think about? Let's look at some pictures of Jesus here. You know, some of the things so often we think about this, I call it the contemplative Jesus, you know, kind of sitting around, you know, the thinker type Jesus. We think about that. Or this next picture, uh, this, this is kind of Jesus in the garden. I don't know if you can see that. He's praying. He's in agony in the garden of Gethsemane. Or this next picture uh, is kind of an interesting one. I, I love this. You know, he's always with sheep. I mean, I could have found a hundred pictures of this. I went online and, and looked at pictures of Jesus. There was a thousand pictures of Jesus with sheep. You know something? I've read all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and not once do I see Jesus hanging out with sheep. Not once. But we see plenty of pictures because he is called a good shepherd, and we take that and we use that as the analogy. There's other pictures of Jesus like this next one. We see Jesus, you know, this peaceful Jesus riding in triumphal entry, but even, even then he's a humble Jesus because he rides on his little donkey. Man, that poor little donkey, look at that. I mean, it's, it's kind of sad. I hope it wasn't that small in reality. And then, but then, you know, Easter, we do see this, this next picture of Jesus. We think about this Jesus upon the cross. But we see Jesus as the suffering Jesus who suffered for our sins. But so often what happened, we don't like to talk about the power of Jesus Christ because it's not popular. We, we want to talk about the compassionate side, the loving side of Jesus, because that's kind of like easier to deal with. But you know, Easter is not about that. Easter is about the power of Jesus. And as we have come here today to celebrate the power of Jesus, I want us to look at Scripture in a very simple way today. And I'm not going to have a bunch of slides, so you won't have to even pay attention to what's up there for the next 20 minutes, okay? Just pay attention. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn it to Matthew chapter 4 and begin to follow me. I don't think you'll be able to keep up, by the way, because I'm going to, look at, I'm going to do a quick review of the book of Matthew. And you're going like, oh, we're going to be here forever. No, we're not. Okay. But as we look at this morning, I want to talk about this power of Jesus. And it's not popular, but when we look at Scripture, when we look at what Jesus did and how he described himself, when he talks about himself, it's about his power, his glory. And so that's why I want to talk about today because it's so important for you and for me to understand this emphasis, this emphasis of God's power that's shown through his son, Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, in the last book of Scripture, in Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, it's, it says in there that, that it's describing the Son of Man, Jesus in heaven. And it says that when they come before him, they fall on their faces. And it says, it says this. This is what it talks about. Jesus says, Jesus says, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. That's kind of a summation of the power of Jesus. That Jesus holds the key to everything, death Hell, everything. But today I want to talk about and give us a picture. If we don't have a picture of this, of this side of Jesus, the power of Jesus, I also want to talk, show you what it says about, about him in Scripture this morning. And I kind of want to do a quick review through, through, throughout Matthew to talk about um, what it says. In Matthew chapter 4, when we begin to see Jesus, and he begins the process of, of his ministry upon this earth, Satan comes to tempt him, it says. And Jesus at that point had been in the desert for 40 days. Fasting. How long have you ever gone without food? Don't say 30 minutes. I mean, you know, I mean, how long? Maybe a day, maybe, when you were sick? I mean, how long have you gone without food? I went, uh, one time I fasted for 13 days. Don't think I'm spiritual or anything. I just was really trying to find an answer from God. And, and I fasted. And we tell you, it was the worst 13 days of my life in some ways. Because I was constantly, I was craving food for the first oh, five days. After that, I didn't care anymore. And 
And the thing was, is it was tough. But Jesus, for 40 days, had been fasting out in the desert, out in a, in a place. And it says that Satan come to, comes to tempt him. And in verse 10 of chapter 4 of Matthew, this is what Jesus says. He says, after all this, he says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The power of Jesus is this, as he could say to Satan, he says, you know, you, you have nothing on me. You have nothing on me, and you need to just got to go away from me. In Matthew chapter 5, as he starts his public ministry, he goes straight to the religious leaders of his day, the people that, were, that had a lot of emphasis, a lot of power. If you think of, you know, in our day, it's political leaders that have a lot of power. In that day, it was the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes. And he goes to them in verse 20 of chapter 5, and he says, where I tell you, and he tells the people talking to them, and says, where I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, the religious leaders and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. He just looks at people and says, hey, these religious leaders, these people that are so, you, you, you hold up in such high esteem, unless your righteousness, unless you are more holy than they are, you're not going to get to heaven. I mean, that wasn't exactly the good news that people were looking for, right? But it's Jesus describing the reality of what, what things are. And then in Matthew 6, he just goes after another group. You know, so often in culture, for some reason, I don't understand this, but so often what it is, when somebody has a lot of money, we think that they that we hold them in higher esteem, like they're smarter than everybody else. Maybe they're just luckier or something. Maybe they happen to inherit the money. I don't know what the deal is, but so often we think that rich people have, you know, have more on the ball, and so we listen to them more. We hold them in more high esteem. Those who try to find their security and stuff. But in verse 24 of chapter 6 in Matthew, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He says this, if you want to follow me, you've got to make up your mind. You can't have both. And then in verse 33 of that same chapter of Matthew 6, he says, but first seek his kingdom, God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Once again, it's about the power of God. The purpose of God is that he wants to, Jesus is to show us that God is a powerful God. It's not just about his compassion. Yes, Jesus is a compassionate God. Jesus is a compassionate friend. He's a good friend. But the issue is he's a powerful person too. He's more powerful than anybody. He's much more powerful than a Taekwondo instructor who had like a seventh degree black belt I come to understand later. He has all these things. And in Matthew 7, when he talks about, Jesus is talking about the judgment at the end times, he says this in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And he says this, many people will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did, you, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, evil doers. I mean, that's the way that Jesus started his ministry. Is that the way you usually think about Jesus? Just powerful, direct, straightforward, loving. Impression of who God is. And then in Matthew 8, I'm not going to look at every chapter in Matthew, but in Matthew 8 it says uh, he's with his disciples. He's in a boat, and there is this huge storm, and the disciples think they're going to die, and Jesus is sleeping through it. He must have been related to me. I sleep through storms all the time. But, uh, and I hope I'm related to Jesus, you know. But the issue is, is he was sleeping through it. But they wake him up. His disciples wake him up. And the disciples in verse 25 of Matthew 8 say, The disciples went to him, woke up, and saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. They were terrified. And he calmly replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? 
Then he got up. He rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And it says his disciples were amazed and asked, What kind of a man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? I mean, another picture of the power of our Jesus, our Lord. I mean, it's not only does he speak the truth, it's straightforward. He's not afraid of anyone. Religious leaders, power political, the rich, he's not afraid of any of those. He speaks the truth to them. He does it in love. Not only that, but he actually controls nature. It listens to him. And a couple of verses later, uh, in verse 28 of that same passage of Matthew 8, it says uh, he, was, he encountered two demon-possessed men. And it says in verse 28, when he arrived at the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men were coming from the tombs and they met him. And it says this, they were so violent that no one could pass that way. I mean, these guys were so crazy, so violent, that no, everybody was afraid. But when Jesus began to pass by, it says, this is what it says in Scripture, The demons say, What do you want with us, Son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Even demons shuddered when Jesus was in their presence. And sometimes I believe that we are so arrogant because when we think that Jesus is just another guy, we can treat him any way we want to treat him. We can take him, we can leave him. And and is Jesus our friend, just one of many? Or is he our Lord? Because the Bible says that Jesus, Jesus is, a, is, a, is a powerful person. Not just, the, just not a powerful person, but the most powerful person because he was God who walked among us. I don't know what you think when you hear the name Jesus, but the Bible says the demons shudder when they hear that name. You know, I might underestimate people but I better not underestimate Jesus Christ. Later on in that, in that same verse, after it talks about these, these demon-possessed guys, after Jesus cast out the demons into a herd of pigs, the people are so freaked out, you think they'd go like, Yay! That's exciting, Jesus! Great for you! Thank you so much for doing that! And what it says in verse 34 of that chapter, it says this, Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. You'd think they'd be cheering him, but it says they did this. And then when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Why? Because they recognized that Jesus was so powerful that he could change things around him. And they liked the things the way they were. They didn't want to be changed. And, And so they recognized the power of Jesus. And so instead of embracing him, what they did is they they pushed him away. Chapter 9 of Matthew, Jesus, uh, a, man, a guy who is paralyzed, excuse me, <clears throat> a guy who is paralyzed is brought in on a gurney, and Jesus heals him. And it says, uh, he says to the man in verse uh, uh, 6 and 7, he says, get up, take your mat, and go home. And then the man got up and went home, and when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they were praised God, who had given such authority to man. You know, he, he had power over illnesses. He had power over infirmities. In Matthew 10, he says some strong words. He says, do not be afraid of, in verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He's basically saying this. Stop being afraid of everybody else. Stop trying to please the crowd. Stop doing those things. You better be in awe of me. Because guess what? Everybody's going to die, right? Everybody does. But I'm the only one, God says, Jesus says, I'm the only one who could direct you 
and can have built a way for you to go and be with the Father in heaven for eternity. That's the person you need to be afraid of, in awe of, in reverence of, because I'm a powerful God. And then later on in that chapter in verse 32 in Matthew 10, it says, Whoever acknowledges me before men, I also acknowledge him, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. And then in verse 37, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, I don't know if you get this, but Jesus was direct. I mean, he didn't mince words. He spoke the truth, and he did it in love. I mean, Jesus did not, not only did he confront individuals, but he confronted whole towns. You know, how would you like to go out and say, oh, the Germantown Hills or Metamore or Washington or wherever you happen to live and, and say that, you know, and confront the whole town because of their sin? He did it. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 24, he comes and, and, and he's doing these miracles in these cities and nobody's responding to him. And he says this about them. He says in verse 24 of Matthew 11, he says, but I tell you that it'll be more bearable for Sodom. Remember what Sodom was? Sodom and Gomorrah, the places where God cast down the fire that destroyed the city. And the thing is, it says, it'll be more bearable for you for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you because you've rejected me. And then we go on, chapter 12, he confronts religious leaders once again. For the, and in verse 8, he says, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Chapter 13, he talks about the end time. He says this, he says, the Son of Man will send, who's the Son of Man? Jesus. He said, will send his angels and they will gather out of his, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all law, lawbreakers and throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place, there will be neat weeping and gnashing of teeth. In chapter 14, he walks on water. Is that pretty, that's pretty powerful, I think. I don't know about you, but I think walking on water is not exactly something I've ever experienced. Probably never will. But it's powerful. It's, it's, you get the picture? I mean, if I could go through every chapter, and I literally did this week, and I've had problems narrowing down the field, but every chapter in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that talks about the ministry of Jesus when he describes who he is, describes a powerful, powerful Jesus Christ. I want to skip a few chapters up to chapter 20. And, and that's where we really begin to see his power. And in verse 17 of chapter 20 of Matthew, it says, Now when Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took his 12 disciples aside and said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death, and, and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. But... On the third day, he will rise. You know, it's one thing to speak the truth. It's one thing to have power over nature and and illnesses and all kinds of things. But it's another thing to have power over death. It's another thing to have all this power and to withhold the power. You know, I told you that Taekwondo instructor, when he made everybody else look silly in the class... You know how he made them look silly? It wasn't because he was punching them out and doing all kind of crazy things. These guys would throw a punch. I mean, these guys would like, it was like a movie. You see these movies, you know, these Taekwondo movies. Anybody officially knows their Taekwondo movies or, you know, Bruce Lee or whatever. You know, and they do it. And everything's choreographed in those movies. Y'all didn't know that, right? You know, I mean, they choreograph stuff. So when the guy's throwing a punch, he knows it's coming. So they choreograph it and the guy blocks it. But it's all kind of a dance. It's what it is. Well, in, in this class, when this Taekwondo instructor was 
was doing stuff, what he would do, it was almost like a movie. It was like the guy knew what was coming. And literally he did because he had trained every one of these guys. And he would simply just, like the guy would throw a punch and he would just, you know, literally, you know. Or he would just, you know, just do it. And it was like the guy never touched. The guy was never touched in 15 minutes by all these black belts. These big old burly dudes. I mean, it's, you know. And I was going, man. And he never, he never hit him back. He just kind of controlled himself, you know, very calmly. And when I think of Jesus Christ, it says here, it says Jesus tells him before it's going to happen. He says, now, now I'm this, this powerful God. I can do anything. But the issue is, is that I'm going to let them do some stuff to me. I'm going to let them do some things to me. Because in verse 28 of chapter 20, he says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here is the ultimate power of Jesus. He says, I'm going to let them kill me, crucify me. I'm going to, I could destroy them. I found the most interesting picture. I thought about putting it up here, but I thought it'd freak you out of Jesus. The only time I've ever seen a picture of Jesus's power, it looked like it was Jesus on the cross as I went through the hundreds of pictures online. Jesus on the cross, and he was on the cross there. He looked like Hercules. I mean, he had muscles, bulging muscles and everything, and he was ripping the cross apart. You know, he was just tearing it apart. You know, just this big giant cross, he was ripping. I was going like, that's a picture of Jesus' power. Maybe I should use that one. But see, Jesus could have done that. Not because he was Hercules, but because he had power. But he says to us, I could destroy them, but because I came to die for you, I can take it because that's how strong I am. And after they kill me, guess what I'm, what's going to happen? I'm going to rise from the grave because you can't kill me. Because I have power over all things. I love chapter 25 of Matthew where it says in verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory and all the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He's saying, when I come back, I'm not going to be like I am now. You know, I'm going to come back. And it, it, it pictures in Revelation, the first verse that we looked at, it pictures that same thing, that God, Jesus is God who sits there and he's with God and he's, he is God. And I don't know how to describe all the Trinity, okay, so don't ask me. But the issue is, is he has that power to do just that. And in verse 26, uh, Peter tries to take some things. Remember Peter when, when Jesus was in the, there was being arrested and Peter tried to take some things into his own life? And he took things into his own life. Remember what he did, Peter did, as he was being arrested? What did Peter do? Anybody remember? He tried to chop, take his sword out and chop off the ear. He tried to chop off the ear of, of one of the, the uh, people that were coming to get Jesus. But Jesus is holding it. Hey, don't, you don't have to do that. He says this in verse 53 of chapter 26. Do you think I cannot call on my Father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. I mean, if Jesus wanted to come down off the cross, he wanted to destroy. He, he could do it. That's power. That's power when you can do it. You can withhold the power and you can constrain the power because you, you, you want to use your power for something greater than yourself. And that's the picture of my Jesus. Not this wimpy little guy who's holding lambs all the time. My Jesus is a powerful God who, who I better pay attention to. 
because he is he could do anything for me and he chose to die on a cross for me and for you he took it all for me and for you and he said go ahead and, and kill me and see what i do I'll, I'll come back to life in three days and sure enough as he is crucified we come to chapter 28 i love chapter 28 of matthew I mean, I don't know if you like chapter 28 of Matthew or if you even know what Matthew 28 says, but let me tell you, 28 the big... If without 28, there is no history. Without chapter 28 of Matthew, there is, there is nothing for us to do today. We might as well pack up our bags, go home, dig a hole, and, and bury ourselves, literally, because we have no hope without chapter 28 of Matthew. Because everything in history hinges on what happens in chapter 28 of Matthew. He's crucified. He's put in a tomb. And then the women come to the tomb. And guess what they do? They said, it says in verse 5 of chapter 28, The angel said to the women as he was standing guard at the tomb, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. They did that. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And then it says this, interestingly, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. They kind of had mixed emotions. They didn't know whether to believe it or not or whatever, but they didn't understand the power of Jesus. And they ran to tell his disciples. And it says this in Scripture, suddenly, suddenly, all of a sudden, he just pops up out of nowhere. Suddenly Jesus met them. And what does he say? Greetings. Now, I don't know if that's freaky for you or not, but you know, here's, this, here's Jesus. Died on a cross, beaten, brutalized, buried, risen from the dead. His first words to his followers, how you guys doing? Greetings. Now, I don't know if that's a description of power or not, but, you know, when somebody can come through all that and come out the other side and all they have, and they can simply calmly say greetings, it says something about them. And then that's all he had to say, and, when they, and it says this, and they came to him, they clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. You know, see, Jesus don't have to, doesn't have to really say a whole lot to us for us to understand that we better t- pay attention to who he is and to his power. You know, I could underestimate other people, but I better not underestimate the power of Jesus because he has the power... That first verse we read out of Revelation, the keys to Hades, the keys to salvation. No one comes to the Father except through me, is what Jesus said. I'm the only way. And in verse 10, Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and they will see where they will see me. And then I'll love, love these last, I'm going to pop the last couple of verses up on the screen. In verse 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you get that, what that says? I mean, you know, he's already said that like about 28, 30 times already through all of Matthew. He said, all authority, I have all power. Everything is mine. I'm not just this guy that holds sheep and pets children on the head, even though that's pretty cool. I'm a God who has power over everything. All authority on heaven and earth is given to me. And then in verse 19 and 20, it's the great commandment. Then he says, because of that, because of that, this is what I want you to do. Therefore, because of everything that's happened in the last 28 chapters of Matthew, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, what I want to say to you that today is this, and I think what Scripture is saying to you is this. It's not just about, hey, I'm glad, I hope you come back to church next week. I really do. But that's not what Scripture is saying. Scripture is saying here, is saying this. Obey what Jesus says. Take Him seriously. Because I might underestimate people, but I better not underestimate the power of Jesus Christ. Because everything, He holds the power and the keys to everything in history. He holds, He has the ability to to give you and offer you something that you cannot possibly get yourself. And that is the keys to an open relationship, a relationship with God that ultimately may lead you, that ultimately leads you to heaven if you accept His offer. But also it allows you to live life here upon this earth in such a way that no longer is your life just a drudgery day to day to day. Because my Jesus is a powerful God. My Jesus is not just, you know, some of these pictures we talked about earlier. Those, those are all tr- parts of who Jesus is, yeah. But the picture of Jesus that I see in Scripture is this Jesus that we better pay attention to. Unless the band to come on out right now, and as they come out, they're going to start playing a song, and after we play that, then I'm going to come back and kind of wrap some stuff up. So, so this morning, just kind of sit where you are and uh, just, just listen for a few moments as we uh, kind of close our service at this point. This morning, I really don't know where any one of you are at in regard to your relationship with God. I don't know how seriously you take God. You know, I don't know if this is the only time all year you come to church or you come every week. And it really doesn't matter in the long run because coming to church, you know, doesn't make you a Christian. Taking God seriously, taking Jesus Christ seriously and making Him the Lord and Savior of your life is what makes the difference. And when you do that, church is a part of that. But this morning, the one thing I, I would encourage you to do is to take God seriously, to take His Son seriously. And in doing so, sometimes we need to make decisions in life that help us to go to the next step. For some of you this morning, one of the decisions you might need to make, if you've never said yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you want to know what that means to do that, then in a moment when we stand together to sing, we're going to go have a, we have a prayer room over here. We'll have some counselors over there, some folks can, can talk with you. Can, you can pray about some things. And then you might need to talk with somebody. Just slip out during that song and go over there and talk to someone over there. Or this morning you might have, you know, kind of accepted this kind of Jesus who is maybe a partial picture of who Jesus is. But you really don't take him real seriously. I mean, you, you love him, you come to church, you, you kind of have a relationship with him. But he's not really the Lord of all of your life. And God wants, him, wants his son to be the Lord of all of your life, every part of your life, your finances, your relationships, your jobs, your, ha- your family, your home, everything you do. Because he created all those things. He says, I have authority over all things, not just some things, all things. And so this morning, I would encourage you as uh, we sing this song in a moment, Nate's going to get us to stand together. And as we stand together this morning to sing this song, if you'd like to talk with someone over in this direction, over in our prayer room, we're going to have those doors up. You can go over there. You can talk with someone. You're, whoever you're with will be more than glad to hang out until you're finished. But it's, it's important to take God seriously. And there's no more important time to think about that than Easter because Easter is about the power 
of our Lord and Savior. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to continue to sing, and those of you who are here in this room will sing together, and those who want to come over here and talk will talk with one of our counselors over in the other room, and, and then we'll go home. And I hope that this afternoon and tomorrow and the next day that the first thing on your mind is Jesus because that's what he wants to have is the first thing. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.